I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Janine Chastain. We're collaborating on curated conversations to explore how the industry is changing. Together, we'll find ways to create new solutions to current challenges while elevating the value of architects. Welcome Welcome to to Practice Practice Disrupted. Hi, listeners. Hi, Janine. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, listeners. Today, we are bringing on the founders of Architechi, which I'm really excited about because we've mentioned this group, this free Slack group, multiple times. And I was first introduced to them many years ago when I was looking at transitioning my career by Robert from Monograph who was talking to me about a group of architects, then it was more like a handful of architects that made a transition to the tech world, and they've started this community. And the really interesting thing about Architechi is now it's grown so big that it's actually also attracting engineers who have companies in this space, but really see the value in bringing architecture or architecturally trained individuals into their company. So today we're talking to Blake and Leona. Janine, why don't you just jump into Leona's bio? Sure. Leona Huddleston currently leads a team of product and design leaders at the Netflix Studio Innovation Team, an innovative team responsible for Netflix's multi-billion dollar investments into the expansive content offerings. Leona is also a serial entrepreneur and angel investor in both startup and creative communities. She is also the co-founder of Architechi, helping bridge architecture practice and the tech industry. Blake Huddleston is an entrepreneur, design leader, and educator based in San Francisco. After studying architecture and urban planning at CCA, or the California College of Arts, and Cal Poly, Blake spent three years working as an architect at SOM and Studios Architecture before transitioning to becoming a user experience designer. Blake then went on to work at the design consultancies Matter and Method, where he designed products for some of the world's leading technology companies. His next step took him to Google's Advanced Technology and Project Group, a skunkworks technology incubator at Google, where he helped design the world's first smart garment platform called Jackard. Blake currently works at Atomic, a venture capital fund and startup incubator, where he is launching new products and company. He also is serving as an adjunct professor to his alma mater, CCA, where he teaches in the graduate design program. In 2016 uh, is when Blake co-founded Architechi with Leota, and we are going to learn more about that today. Let's cut to the interview. So um, so I studied urban planning at Cal Poly, and then I did my MR at CCA, California College of the Arts in San Francisco, um, and spent way more time in school than I'd like to admit. It was eight years total. Um, and then I went and I worked as an architect for almost three years. I worked at SOM. I worked at Studios Architecture in San Francisco. And, um, you know, through some frustrations that I had with the field and more opportunity that I saw in the, the tech industry that I wanted to explore, I ended up deciding to leave my job at SOM in around 2015 and go and try working in this, this kind of new and emerging field called user experience design, which obviously we all know now really well. But even five years ago, it was kind of less known, especially in the architect community. And at that time, Leona was working as a product designer at Autodesk. We'd both come home from work every day. We'd talk about our days. You know, I'd hear about the awesome work that Leona was doing as a UX designer. And it just seemed more interesting than what I was doing as an architect. And I decided after many months of kind of thinking about transitioning into something else that I was going to try it. And I gave myself three months. I've kind of made a deal with myself. I said, all right, three months, I'm going to go try and find work as a, as a UX designer. And if I failed, I didn't like it. I could always go back to architecture. And um, after a bunch of interviews uh, at various tech companies in San Francisco, I finally ended up landing a job at an, an up and coming design agency called Matter. And um, I got to work on uh, a bunch of cool projects that kind of bridged the digital and physical worlds. So it was a really good introduction for me into the tech industry. And, you know, after some time working at Matter, I went to another design agency called Method and I worked on a bunch of innovation projects there, designing products for the Department of Defense, 
DNA sequencing company, a AR VR app, and a bunch more. And after about two years after leaving architecture and working as a product designer, I had worked on almost 10 separate projects that spanned industries of health and entertainment and defense and hardware design and consumer goods and real estate. That's definitely a broader portfolio than you would get in that same amount of time at an architecture firm. Exactly. And, and, and that was the precise reason that I was kind of unhappy is I was working on projects that were just many, many years long and I didn't have the variety of work that I really wanted to. And so I kind of dipped my toe into the design agency world and, and that frankly just had a blast doing it. And then um, I got a call from a, a small innovation group at Google called Google ATAP, which is Advanced Technology and Projects Group. And I ended up joining, helping to design kind of the next generation of technology projects. And generally that group looks at projects like five or 10 years into the future. And so they're kind of a bit more on the research side. And I ended up joining and working on a new project called Jacquard. And Jacquard is a platform that integrates technology into everyday objects, like your jacket or your shoes, or even your couch at home. And one of our first collaborations was with Levi's, where we took one of their well-known trucker jackets and we built mm -hmm. in a new sleeve essentially. And it had our kind of special conductive fabric woven in. And you could do things like brush the sleeve with your hand to control your digital devices without taking your phone out. And so this was meant to unlock this whole new paradigm of interacting with your devices and explore this kind of future of how technology would become more human and more naturally integrated into our everyday lives. So I had a lot of fun. I worked there for a couple of years. And then most recently, I ended up joining another company called Atomic. And Atomic is a company that starts companies, which is very meta. It's basically part venture capital fund and part startup incubator. And so rather than write checks to other entrepreneurs, like most VCs do, it only funds ideas that come from inside its, its own four walls. Mm -hmm. And since joining Atomic in 2020, uh, I've had the opportunity to help start three new companies. Um, one is a company that builds backyard ADUs. Another is a company that sells really beautifully designed emergency preparation kits. And a third is a company that provides really fun, interactive virtual events online that you can take from experts all over the world. Those are three companies, given the state and climate of where we are right now that I feel are taking off. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were born out of the constraints that COVID presented us. Yeah. Leona, how about you? So I am currently uh, at Netflix, uh, leading and building a team of product and design leaders, creating technologies to power Netflix studio. And if you guys uh, are a member of Netflix USC, uh, we have this infinite catalog of content we're making every year. Um, so our team uh, is responsible for the innovations behind Netflix Studio and uh, helping us to create the best content for our members. Uh, we're working in a space where in Hollywood or filmmaking industries, technologies or even software are not that common. This type of innovation is not that common. And so uh, it's been really fun, I would say, uh, for the past three years, we're helping Netflix to scale from, you know, five to 10 original titles now to last year, we launched more than 700 titles uh, globally. So yeah, in addition to working at Netflix, leading um, you know, a team of really exceptional product and design leaders, uh, I myself is also a uh, serial entrepreneur. I've founded multiple companies, um, ranging from VC-funded to bootstrapped um, startups, and just making and launching products just gets me up every day. Um, and lastly, I would say I am pretty actively involved in the angel investment community, focusing on both tech startups as well as the creative industry. Um, so uh, if you have heard about the uh, spatial syndicates, that's one of the Android investment syndicates uh, spun out of the Arditechy community. Um, so slightly different than Blake's journey coming into tech industry, I actually stumbled upon 
architecture by accident. <laughs> I would say it's the reverse way. Uh, since I was a kid, I actually really loved hacking. Uh, I loved building websites and creating, you know, user interfaces. At the time, I remember when I was 13 years old. Back in the day when there was still、uh, Macromedia, Flash, Buy, Flash,、um, Adobe just killed it last year.、Uh, <laughs> Although I have stumbled across a few architecture firm sites already that I don't know if they have re- completely realized that. But、oh, yes, I know. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty、uh, typical. <laughs>、um, yeah, and、um, I made my、uh, first e-commerce website、uh, when I was thirteen, and Basically, flipping、uh, used play- PlayStation's、uh, consoles at the time、uh, to people who are like twenty years older than me.、Um, wow! <laughs> so loved it, and I think that really seeded my kind of entrepreneurial journey. And then when I was going to college,、uh, trying to choose a major, and I dabbled between computer animation and the new media, but. I just really hated the concept of sitting in front of a computer every day or、mm-hmm. the computer lab, like ten hours per day, just to render something or uh, coding uh, websites. And、uh, I was really drawn to the architecture school. And as many of you know, even interaction or product design, even today, isn't a very common major in our universities or colleges. And so back in the day, that was you know. Twelve years ago, fifteen years ago, and there was no such a thing called interaction or user experience design. And so I was really drawn to、uh, architecture school,、uh, where I get to learn about humanity. I get to learn about the history, the context,、uh, the science behind why create instead of just rendering、uh, and creating models all the time.、Um, so I was drawn to architecture school, and I went to. Architecture school at CCA, California College of the Arts, and that's actually where I met Blake.、Um, how our personal journey started together. However, it was by accident. I would say the summer of 2011, and、uh, when we were just recovering from the recession. And as you also know, architecture is an industry that's completely relying on the economic condition. Uh, so when I seeked out for internships at the time, I couldn't find any.、Yeah. I probably submitted like twenty applications, and no one wanted to hire intern because、uh, most of the architecture firm at the time they were still suffering from the recession. However, instead, that was the time when tech started to boom, and、uh, iPhone came out to them. Eight, the first generation,、uh, and then by 2010, there are just hundreds of new companies started to create、uh, iPhone apps. So fortunately, I was able to find an internship. But instead of designing architecture, I started designing iPhone apps, and I never looked back ever since. Yeah, I want to,、um, and then of course the reason why we invited you both is because together you founded Architechy. So. It would be great to go in and to actually hear the story about why you felt the need to start this community. Yeah, I can talk about the name really quick, and because I love puns, and uh, uh, I would say it was back in two thousand fourteen and fifteen when Blake and I we had many friends from school and from our adjacent、uh, architect communities. Reaching out to us individually and asking for feedback or advice on how to transition into working as a designer or engineer in the tech industry. That was the time some of the biggest unicorns came out of the Bay Area,、uh, and then that was also the time, like Blake mentioned earlier, when he was working at SOM and I was working at Autodesk, and our offices were. Just few blocks apart on Market Street in San Francisco, and every day I will get off of work at 4 p.m.、Uh, finish all my work, and <laughs> I will grab dinner and go to his office to meet him, and so we can go home together.、Uh, but I feel like every time when I arrived at his office after 6 p.m., that was just his day really started, 
I was just catching my second wind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I still remember how uh, how many nights I was hanging out at SLM's office. It was full house till one a.m. Everyone was still there and working really hard, and uh, while I was just there watching Netflix. So that was a time I think a lot of architects, especially our friends, started to see that contrast. Uh, mm-hmm. Working as a designer, the work-life balance they're getting, the impact they're getting, um, comparing to uh, you know the designers working in the tech industry, becomes so much more uh, marginal. And so we had a lot of friends reaching out to us, and then quickly we f- found out it's just becoming unscalable if we spend one hour or more to talk to each individual friend. Um, so we gathered some of our friends who went through very similar journey and then started a first a lecture or a, a fireside chat and then that was really well received we had close to 50 people showed up uh, for our mm-hmm. first fireside chat 65 we we thought okay. 10 or 15 people would show up and 65 people showed up wow. <laughs> 6x there you go uh, yeah, that, that's um, and then uh, that's how we started, and then we started to formalize this community and really trying to make it helpful for more and more people who wanted to transition between these two industries. Yeah, so uh, you know, we a lot of a lot of folks are reaching out to us, and as Leona said, we just felt like after the thirtieth coffee date, we needed to better scale ourselves. And you know, as she mentioned, we put together this event. We invited five of our, our close friends who had transitioned from architecture to tech successfully. They were working in AR, VR, cryptocurrency. One was working at a, as a software engineer at Uber. Leona was, I think, working at her own software company by then. I was working as a product designer. And we basically just kind of talked about uh, our experiences and it was super well received. The way that I remember, like the, the, the name Architecti coming up is Leona during the event saying to me, you know where you are? You're, you split your time between architecture and tech. You're an architecty, and I didn't. I didn't know if it was accusatory or if it was like congratulatory. But for some reason, that name stuck around, and so we ended up calling our our sort of ragtag group of former architects who now worked in tech architecty, and um, and that turned into you know a bunch of other things, right? So uh, more people reached out to us after that event. Uh, they asked for like more tactical workshops where we'd walk through what a product designer actually does because a lot of architects at that time were interested in going into product design. And mm-hmm. so we, we then held a half day workshop that kind of was like how to become a product designer 101. That also sold out, which was really surprising to us. And we just realized that especially uh, in the Bay area, a lot of architects were just not super satisfied with the jobs that they were working on. And right. a lot were really, really interested in exploring roles outside of traditional practice. And it, we we realized we were not the only ones that shared this sentiment and thought, hey, there's probably so many more people in the AEC industry across the world who are interested in working in technology. And so we started a Slack community. Uh, we didn't advertise it or anything. We just let people started kind of sharing it word of mouth. And then fast forward to now, and I think we have over 1,200 really amazing people from around the world that are active in the community and it essentially runs itself. And so people share knowledge and advice. They mentor one another. They post jobs. They share events. It's a really beautiful thing. And when people find out about this architecty community, the overwhelming reaction we hear is, I can't believe it took me so long to discover this gem. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it makes us so happy because it just, it turned out as kind of this like, this funny thing. And it has actually turned into sort of the serious thing where people get real value. I have referred people to Architecti in like the last week. So I know there's still a lot of people out there searching for this. And I wonder, you know, you say you had like 30 coffee dates early on with people to go over some of these conversations. Were there themes that you noticed that showed up across those conversations that were pretty um, consistently present? 100%. So what I noticed first and foremost is that when someone was kind of starting to transition from architecture into product design or some version of that, some people were doing software engineering or product management, but mostly product design, 
I was seeing that a lot of portfolios became these kind of hybrid uh, portfolios of architecture work mixed with product design work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks had were struggling with just getting the right portfolio projects to actually get hired. And what I kept iterating to people was that your portfolio shouldn't be a summary of what you've done. It should co- showcase the work that you want to do. You know, if you think about it, like if you want to go work as a VR designer, no company is just going to hire you if you don't have any VR projects in your portfolio. But I get that request a lot from architects. They want to go work in VR. They say, okay, can you show me some VR? They say, I don't have any. <laughs> right? So what, that mean, what, I, what I tell a lot of people is go out and create some conceptual projects on your own and learn the ins and outs of what it means to do whatever you want to do whether it's, you know, building VR environments, if we just kind of move forward with this example, you know, maybe you need to learn Unity or you need to learn some front-end coding. And, you know, it might sound like a no-brainer, but very few people actually do this. So, you know, for me, I struggled with the same exact thing. I was kind of calling, like, calling myself an architect slash UX designer. And what I found was that recruiters and hiring managers at tech companies uh, just are really confused by that. I think a lot of people outside of architecture just fundamentally don't really understand what architects do on a day-to-day basis. They think they're like drafting blueprints all day or something, and they don't really understand how well-rounded um, architects actually are. But also it's up to you know someone transitioning out of architecture to be really, really clear like how their skills translate into skills that are, are needed and necessary in the, in the tech industry. So what I did, and this is generally the advice that I provide, is I had like four or five pretty rough interviews when I was first applying for product design roles, mainly because I had this kind of Frankenstein portfolio. And what I finally <laughs> discovered was that I needed to wipe all of my architecture work out of my portfolio. And what I did is I just created an archive tab on my website and I dumped everything in there and I started fresh. I locked myself in my room for four weeks. I worked 14 hour days just on my portfolio alone. Oh my goodness. And then at the end of it, I had four pretty solid conceptual product design projects that walked through every step of the way that clearly articulated and showed that I understood how to design digital products. And after I sent that out, my response rate from recruiters went through the roof because they they finally understood what I actually did. um, And I was no longer stuck in this kind of middle space. Yeah. And I want to center in on your, your overall story a little bit. Like only because you came from architecture and traditional practice and, and poor Leona having to spend long nights in the studio with you. <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel that like what you're talking about, you know, I, I feel like some architects are like, that's the loss of my identity, right? You're you're telling me to kind of wipe out my, my life, yeah. wipe out my life's work to this point. So I, I want to go a little bit deeper on that, but also this notion that you kind of gave yourself three months um, like, what was it like for you stepping away from architecture and then kind of coming to the conclusion that you just kind of had to leave it all behind you if you want to take that next step? Because I feel like that that transition is such a hard struggle for a lot of a lot of people that are yeah. thinking, I want to go to tech, but they're not quite really to fully embrace it the way it needs to be embraced. Yeah, honestly, it was easier to step away from traditional practice than I even thought. And I think things have frankly changed over the last five years because there's just the, the, the UX and product design field is more saturated. And back mm-hmm. in 2015, everybody, every company was hiring and there just was never enough supply of product designers. Mm-hmm. So right. I think in, in part, I was pretty fortunate to sort of be, be there at the right time. But I think, I think the toughest thing for me was walking away from the field that I had spent a decade in school in and, you know, three years working with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans, not to mention I had a really good job at one of the most respected architecture firms. And, you know, saying you're, you work in architecture, it sounds cool and people respect you and that's all great. Um, I think it's, it's kind of interesting because architects think they're at the sort of the top of the food chain when it comes to design fields. And when I told my colleagues that I wanted to go leave this all behind and try this new field called UX design, people looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> like, what do you want to go do? What do you like? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, I had this, this feeling and it really was a feeling that my skills that I had acquired in architecture school and practice as an architect 
would translate well into allied design fields like, you know, UX, industrial design, AR, VR, visual design, um, mainly because I had seen a few of my other friends just do it in Excel. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, I just wasn't particularly happy working as an architect. So I told myself, hey, what's the worst that can happen if I leave my job? Um, I, can, I can always go back. And um, I don't know, I, I was just really fascinated with the power and the scalability of software. And being in San Francisco, I was surrounded by, we are surrounded by companies having just massive impact on the world. Companies right. like Airbnb, Uber, Apple. And I was just so curious, really. I was just, you know, I, I wanted to find out how these companies were being built. And I just came to the conclusion that I could either go work at these companies and build products that potentially billions of users could touch and use every day, or I could stay working as an architect and design the office buildings in which these product designers would be building these next generation technologies. And, and those are in question right now too. So Exactly, exactly. And that, that's exactly what I was doing. I was literally designing like headquarters for Google and um, I was just, I was just more interested in designing the actual products that Google was designing, frankly. And when I finally did land a job as a product designer, I loved how my crazy ideas were actually welcomed and how experimentation was welcomed. Whereas I always felt kind of constrained in architecture, constrained by budgets, by code, by liability, by whims of the clients. And software essentially felt like the inverse. I was, I was asked to really push hard on experimental design designed for as many users as I possibly can. Don't worry about code because, hey, there's no building code. And then meeting new people outside my friends group, which at that time was all architects. And I started hanging out with other entrepreneurs, with other software engineers, with design strategists, and just kind of expanding my scope of friends. And I don't know, in general, I just felt more challenged. And you know, when you're, when you're working in software, processes for building things are always changing. And to be successful, you just have to be an infinite learner, which is who I am. And that's just so much more exciting to me to always be kind of changing and and learning more. I have always felt like the crush between architecture and tech because it's happening all in this one place in the Bay Area and coming out of business school and seeing what all my friends in business school got to do in the tech industry. <laughs> like it just really like I don't I don't know, like the the difference in in culture and kind of the value like how value is placed on people, you know, reflected in their you know, the salaries and benefits, like the gap was just it's revealed so much more prevalently um i don't know in the bay area but yeah i get a lot of that we don't know i like to circle back on your story because you're this incredible entrepreneur who saw like the need for a more human-centered approach to design oddly enough which is why you ended up in architecture my big my biggest question for you is like what are the top skills that you learned from your background, like from the education and architecture that like helped accelerate your ability to design or be a better entrepreneur? Like what, when people think about like, what skills did I learn in architecture school that are going to really push me forward and into this type of space? Yeah. So as a hiring manager at Netflix right now, I interview designers, uh, product managers, engineers on a day-to-day basis. And every time when I see someone's resume come through and there was architecture education, I immediately immediately pay uh, special attention and just like single this person out. And the reason I say this is because I think the biggest, well, there are two things, uh, two biggest benefits that I've gained from going to architecture school. And number one is developing really thick skin as a designer or entrepreneur. Uh, I just remember when we were in school, I was destroyed by uh, my uh, professors or um, colleagues at the time uh, through design crit almost every week. And it's that kind of resilience and it's that kind of practice of critical thinking and uh, design craft really enabled me to become a much more, I would say, refined designer, which is a lot of other 
disciplines if designers coming from other disciplines that they didn't go through this type of rigorous uh, design crit culture. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, they, they can't even take uh, the smallest feedback. Uh, and then especially at Netflix, it's very much, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen uh, the candor, uh, the candid culture, the radical candor um, in, in uh, Netflix that we would just walk to someone and give them very direct, unfiltered feedback right away with all the good intention. I think it's not for everyone. Um, it's, it's a kind of a cultural difference. Uh, however, because of my experience working, uh, uh, studying in architecture school, I, I, I became a lot more resilient to criticism. And I will go pitch to VCs all the time and I got all the rejections, uh, but that never really turned me down. Um, And I would just continue and I would continue to iterate on my design when I was still designing based on all the feedback. So I think that's one thing that was extremely valuable for me in the architecture school. And then second of all, I think it's the work ethics that I've developed in architecture school. Um, I was just telling Blake the other day, I was like, I can't imagine if I can pull like three all-nighters again. I did that in architecture school, but right now I get so grumpy um, (laughs) if I don't go to sleep at 11 p.m. Uh, (laughs) So I think that really, it's really that uh, work ethic um, I developed in architecture school and also just uh, built that strength for me as a designer, as a as an entrepreneur, um, you know, this go-getter uh, spirit. And I think that was extremely valuable. I, you know, and I w- actually, Evelyn, I'm glad you asked that question because I was going to ask Blake the same thing I was hearing in the way he was talking. And correct me if I'm wrong, this, can you speak more specifically to the skills that you saw transferable? I mean, from what I heard, it sounded like the design piece was really where you took the biggest takeaway into your career in tech? Um, yeah. So, I mean, you leave, you leave architecture school with just a litany of different skill sets. Um, I think people think of the kind of common ones, like you can draw and diagram things and use a bunch of different 3D modeling software. Uh, but I think there's, there's software skills too, which was also really helpful for me. Like, thinking through complex systems. You know, you think about um, when I was working as an architect, I was working on these mega scale projects overseas in Asia where we were working with like 50 consultants at a time and all these interlocking BIM models. And it's just, it's a really complex space. And that really helped me when I went into the tech industry and, and worked on hybrid digital physical products with a bunch of different types of people from software engineers to design strategists to product managers and uh, really feeling like I was the center of, of that, just like kind of an architect feels, which is essentially, you know, the architects are essentially cap, you know, team captains of, of built projects kind of ushering things through. So there's a lot of parallels there. Um, I think I know, I mean, I don't want to speak for myself, but I felt like my communication skills increased significantly just being in architecture school and, when working as an architect and being forced to advertise your designs and defend them and talk about complex things, whether it was like design theory or, you know, more pragmatic stuff day to day with clients and just being on the spot and having to communicate complex ideas in a simple manner that maybe people who don't really understand design very well have to understand. And then I, I think just to zoom out a little bit, having a really critical eye in the world is one thing that I developed when I was in architecture. That's one thing that you realize when you leave architecture school is you see the world much differently than when you started. And I think the last thing is knowing a a little bit about a lot of things in the world. Um, I like, I feel like some of my architect friends are still some of the most interesting people that I hang out with. And I don't know really what it is about going to school or working as an architect, but um, I feel like you just kind of, you become a well-rounded person. Um, and all of those things have just helped me immensely in working in the tech industry. And, um, you know, I think about uh, the book, the pattern, pattern language, 
Modern uh, language, yep. By Christopher Alexander. I I found that book when I was in architecture school and I loved it. It's like, I still keep it on my desk today. And it's funny because that now is like coming back through like the tech industry and these All different circles. All the VCs circles. are like talking about VCs talk about language. it. Software engineers talk about it. And I love that. You know, I think there's so much, you know, everybody can learn from uh, maybe what architects already know. And um, yeah. Yeah, I was add on to that. I think one of the thing besides the soft skills that I gained from study architecture um, in school, another thing as a uh, someone working in the tech industry right now, I think I really miss this notion of uh, intellectual rigor and discourse um, in 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 tech industry, where um, you know architecture was really fundamentally a domain. Um, you know, when I was studying uh, in school, a domain and practice dealing with some of the most complex and societal implications. And and uh, I think this is something we haven't had because product design or UX design, it's still fairly a new role, a new pro- profession. Um, and the tech industry, as we all know, is very much driven by engineering and computer science at the very beginning. So uh, oftentimes it wasn't developed through a human perspective. Um, so only until recently we started to see this level sort of discussion or discourse that's happening in the tech industry, like AI or ML um, ethics or the health of users' online behaviors. Um, but I think it's still very much new uh, and sometimes even marginal uh, in the tech industry. This is something I really want to see more and more. And that's why something I want to see more and more architects uh, can come in or folks studied architecture can come in to work in tech and help de- develop this type of thinking. I want to come back to this question about your entrepreneurial journey because uh, you guys have started to touch on it. But I, for me, I'm curious when you started identifying as entrepreneurs and started making this shift towards um, being, I mean, in your opening, you talked so much about all your multiple passions around this industry. You're stepping in a lot of different roles right now. So how did that kind of evolve towards having so many opportunities for you? So I will say it's very much of a sort of personal journey. And I think uh, this kind of tied up to what Blake was talking about earlier. Um, when you're practicing in architecture, because it's so complex and um, there's lots of lots of risk, right? And uh, and so oftentimes I think because of the liability and uh, uh, the risk architecture firms uh, or companies they need to take, and oftentimes it really creates a constraint. And then um, the design itself or the designers become a lot more risk averse. Um, and I think for me personally, I love taking risks. I love jumping into problems and making it happen. And so when I was in school, I saw that gap where, you know, it would take many, many years. And I mean, Blake can speak to this too for he's actual project he's done in architecture firm, it took uh, five years to even just see one of his projects uh, being made and being used by uh, the intended users uh, or occupants. And so for me, I never had the patience. I was just like, this takes too long. I need to move fast and jump in right away. And so I think what really resonated with me about this notion of founding companies and entrepreneur uh, or being an entrepreneur is that I can move really fast. If I develop a hypothesis about a problem I see and I can just quickly iterate and build it and build a prototype, iterate on top of it based on the feedback and test it out and see if it works. And if it doesn't, why not? And, and I would just keep moving forward. And I think, um, Obviously, I have not worked in architecture professionally, uh, but I think it's the pace that really drove me into building companies and building products and uh, iterate quickly. 
If they haven't started yet throughout this podcast, Leona, you have some people probably Googling you on LinkedIn and seeing if there's any openings um, <laughs> on your content intelligence team because they know that when <laughs> their architect's uh, background comes across, um, yeah. that you'll pay more attention. I'm wondering for you now, you know, I think you can only be so lucky for your resume to land in front of somebody who understands you know, Blake, as he says, like said, what when an architect actually does. So, you know, for the majority, though, when you're putting your resume out there and trying to talk about what you did as an architect and how that translates into tech, how how should they be talking about what they're they did and how it's highlighted, so that people that are not in the architecture industry can kind of understand what their transitional skills are. So I, I recently had the opportunity to contribute to a new book called Architects After Architecture. And it goes into detail about how architects can apply their skills in, some, in meaningful ways outside of traditional practice. Uh, obviously really apropos to this conversation. Highly in- encourage everyone listening to pick up a copy. It's on Amazon. Um, and the essay that I co-wrote for the book with my good friend, Gavin Johns, is called From Architecture to Tech. And it details how architects are especially well-positioned to transition careers into roles in the tech industry. And so I think it's important for, for architects to understand what they do now and, and how to leverage that when they actually start transitioning. Mm-hmm. And you know the reality is there is so much opportunity in the tech sector for smart and well-rounded, motivated people to contribute. And a few, a few roles that just kind of come to mind are like design technologist, product manager, visual designer, user experience researcher, virtual reality designer. I've known former architects who have successfully filled all those roles. And when folks approach me kind of asking, hey, uh, from from the skills that I have right now as an architect, um, what are a few takeaways of like how I can position myself in that transition in, in, into new roles in the tech industry? And the, the thing that I always start with is that the design process in architecture is nearly identical with the design process when building software. You know, one thing that architecture school teaches you is the ability to approach design problems with a rigorous approach of research, concepting, iterating, building, all while continuously questioning assumptions. And, uh, you know, architects know that to design anything properly, whether it's in the built world or the digital world, you have to first understand the problem, right? What's the goal? What does success look like? Uh, For example, jumping into just designing a solution without actually understanding your users or identifying how success will actually be measured, that's an art, right? That's not design. And in architecture, as we all know, designs are developed in pretty distinct phases, right? Schematic design, design development, construction documents, bidding, construction drawings, the the phase approach uh, design process for software is nearly identical. It's just named differently, right? It's basically planning, concept design, prototyping, testing, delivery. And really the main difference between those those two fields is the endpoint, right? Software, you it's super critical to continue iterating based on the feedback that you've received from your users. And obviously that's much harder to do in the built world. And I think I'd say the, the huge advantage that software has over over the built world in in some ways. Um, And another thing that I say is architects are scrappy and that's really beneficial in the the tech sector as well, right? When you're in architecture school and you're learning new techniques and having just kind of figure things out because you're not taught everything, you're just kind of thrown in and expected to figure things out along the way. Having a high level of scrappiness is, is absolutely critical to your success, right? If you have four hours to make a model, and the shop is closed, you find materials in the dumpster and you create beauty from it, (laughs) right? You get this mentality of just figure it out, right? That's, That's ingrained in the DNA of architects. And this is especially helpful when you're moving into the technology industry where there's just so much opportunity to be resourceful and to be scrappy. And the last point um, I usually make is our architects know that their ideas scale, and scale is obviously what makes software so powerful. 
But, right. you know, if you think about, you know, architectural design can range from the small detail of the doorknob to the scale of the city block or beyond. And architects are expected to, to essentially define the design languages and systems that can scale. So they're just used to that. Um, and architects are also really good at employing this kind of big picture thinking and expressing their vision in really tangible terms. And this ability to communicate these complex ideas in a really simple manner to people who don't have a good understanding of design becomes essential um, when you're designing technology-based experiences that potentially are going to impact billions of people. So those are like kind of the three big things that I usually touch on. And Leona, I'm sure you have more to add. Yeah, I would just say every time when I uh, was approached by someone, an architect who's trying to get advice and transition into uh, tech, working in tech, I always ask them to really think hard on why they want to work in tech. Obviously, everything Blake just uh, mentioned, uh, there, there could be really helpful uh, thinking points. I think, uh, as we were talking earlier, there is a economic factor, right? And there's flexibility, uh, work-life balance. Um, but I think oftentimes, many architects I've talked to, they're so passionate about designing and architecture. And so I always asked um, them to really figure it out if they just simply wanted to transition to tech because the um, you know it's it's a it's a well paid industry and it can scale. It offers them all the flexibility in designing products for billions. Uh, or is it something that they really can see themselves in, where um, it is still flawed and um, they are going to miss these kind of intellectually rigorous debates or discourse. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of architects, including myself back in the day, I think I love talking. Uh, we call the archie speak and we love uh, just talking poetically. And I think when you, <laughs> um, when you start to design product for everyday people or for professionals, and you really have to start uh, thinking about the whole aspect of the design and that includes the communication part. So it is quite different even though the thinking behind it and the process oftentimes can be very similar, but it's an entirely different industry. So I wanna um, everyone who's listening to this podcast and interested in transitioning into working in tech um, and really think hard if this is really the area that you can see yourself in the next few years. I'm glad you touched on that. When we interviewed Kat, we kind of had a similar chat about, you know, the intentions on why people might be moving to tech. I mean, when you guys transitioned, it was rare or, you know, kind of like just coming onto the scene. Uh, and now I feel like that I've seen so many people I used to work with, they've entered tech out in San Francisco from architecture. And I kind of wonder if like some of them are going to have buyer's remorse. <laughs> well, Kat, she just took the ARE, right? I guess. Yeah, we did yeah. talk about the ARE yeah. a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, I asked her, I said, why? And because she is so passionate still about the uh, built environment. Um, so yeah, I think there's so many things to think about when you really try to move into tech. And I think there's another op opportunities in tech industry too. It's if you think about software, right? And even all these middlemen uh, in the AC industries, it's an industry that hasn't really been on top of their game when it comes to innovation. In product design, we have tools like Figma and it enables designers to easily collaborate with each other and just focus on other uh, energy, creativity, creating things. But that's not the reality for the AEC industry. I used to work at Autodesk and I shouldn't throw shade here, but uh, <laughs> I don't think Autodesk makes the best or most intuitive software, even though most of uh, media entertainment AEC industry runs on Autodesk software. Um, but because Autodesk is one of the industry leader and there's just so much opportunity out there uh, for the next generation startups, entrepreneurs coming out of architecture with that background uh, to help change 
um, you know, the architecture industry itself uh, through the lens of tech innovation. So I think it goes two ways. Yeah. And what are what are some like really easy first steps that you would recommend, like those preliminary conversations that you would have with someone who's starting to explore this? Because like literally in the last two weeks, I had two people reach out to me about going into UX. And um, I know there's this is a more and more frequent conversation people are having. Join Architecty. <laughs> <laughs> first up, joining Architecty. One, let's tell people how to do that. And then two, I also... I'm going to piggyback off of Janine's question and also say the common, the most common jump that people make to tech is UX design. And Mm -hmm. you've, you've mentioned some other areas that architects can go into. So, so in addition to UX design, what else is out there that makes a best reasonable fit outside of facilities and roofs where people might find a home and then, and then, yes, what are those next steps, including how do we join Architecty? Yeah. So I think I mentioned a couple of them already. I can go a little deeper. So design technologist is one. Basically, what that means is someone understands enough about coding and prototyping and code. They can, they can actually build software products. But a lot of design technologists also come from a design background. And so it's kind of like half designer, half software engineer. And I've worked with some amazing design technologists who can kind of take an idea and actually just like build a working prototype really quickly, whether it's like using Arduinos. Um, A lot of the design technologists I've worked with are also kind of bridge the gap between digital and physical worlds. Um, Product manager is is one. Um, This is is a tough one because generally the best product managers that I've worked with First of all, they have a lot of experience in working in tech and they come from some other uh, tech role like software engineering or product design. And essentially what a product manager does is they, like you could assume, they manage the product for the team. They're the team captain ushering whatever software product they're building forward. And and they work very closely with engineers, designers, strategists, and kind of are the filter between all those teams. Visual designer, um, I've seen quite a few architects become visual designers. It's very similar to product design, except it's just much more focused on on the visuals. Right? It's uh, I think a, a very common um, transition is for someone who's studied like traditional graphic design to go become a a, a visual designer. Um, what else am I missing, Leona? Yeah, I would say I would first ask the question. Uh, what are you good at? What do you feel you're passionate about, right? And then having that kind of honesty with yourself and then use that to drive into a role that can be most aligned with your interests and uh, even skills. So for instance, if you were super good at writing scripts with Grasshopper back in the day in school, or even, you know, Revit, I think Software engineer, uh, it could be a really great role to transition into. We hardly talk about this, but we do have some really successful architects now leading engineering teams uh, at Uber, at some of the biggest companies, and because they love building things. And uh, we've had architects who's just much more interested in solving the business problems in that sense that they don't even need to go work in tech as a designer or engineer, and they can just go out there and start their own company. And just to retrace what we were talking about earlier, the architect, uh, architects or architecture students, we were taught in a very entrepreneurial way, right? We were like one man, one woman taking on the entire project from end to end back in school. Um, so it's the kind of the same approach that you would go after a problem in finding the companies. And we've seen a lot of startups these days founded by uh, ex-architects or uh, folks with architectural background, and they're growing really fast. Um, So I think the really important question to start with is what do you think it's the most relevant to your passion and your skill? And then uh, the second thing I will Uh, suggest anyone who's looking to transition or pivot uh, is to pick a industry or a sector and target it and really try to sort of 
whether you're working on a portfolio, uh, a mock portfolio, uh, just get really obsessed with the problems uh, that uh, sort of uh, coming out of that industry and then take it from there. And I think a lot of new uh, techies, the common problem I see is just that they are interested in design or engineering, but they have such a broad way to go after and to create their portfolio or start talking to people uh, without much of an in-depth investigation of an industry, right? And and then that oftentimes creates a lot of confusions. And so pick industry, define a problem, go after that problem, use that to inform whether uh, combined with the skills and interest and use that to inform uh, which role you want to uh, go into in tech and how do you build a portfolio or take classes or boot camps and be very targeted. Yeah, so our website is architecty.org and you'll see the first button on that page is to join our community and that will take you to our Slack community, which is where most of the discourse happens. And for those of you who don't know Slack, Slack has a bunch of different channels that you can join within our community from uh, job posts, uh, mentorship, um, software engineering, product design. So we have a bunch of different targeted channels and you can insert yourself. Uh, if you do join, please go to the, the, the introduction channel and introduce yourself and don't be shy. Like if you have no experience in tech, like no problem. Like we welcome everybody. And I guarantee you, um, there'll be some, somebody probably with a very similar background as you, if you decide to join. So raise your hand, say, you know, what you're interested in and people will just jump in and help you. That's like the foundation of our community. So, um, and our, it's free and it's free <laughs> and it's free. Slack is free. Um, <laughs> and I think most importantly is if you do have, uh, make up your, made up your mind, um, of transitioning or pivoting your career, uh, Architecty is a really great community where you can find these like-minded people who can be your accountability partner. Uh, it's really important. A lot of people are thinking about it. We've met so many ex-architects who are thinking about it, but only a small fraction of them actually committed to it. And so it's really great to actually come to this community when you actually you meet with all these folks who are willing to do it and take the risk. Uh, and you will hold each other um, accountable and at the same time being helpful and resourceful to, to each other. Evelyn, I'm so glad you brought them on. This interview, I know going into it was really important to you. And I guess I kind of think of them as your people in some ways. But I feel like for me personally, I just feel like I'm just stepping into this space and discovering this huge community of people interested in all of these topics. And since the interview, I actually joined Architecty, the Slack channel, and I'm just amazed like how active it is, how many people are joining the Slack channel by the day, and how many parallel conversations are happening to some of the things that we're talking about here on the podcast. So what did you take away from this conversation? It was really nice to kind of hear their stories and how they came to start Architecty. I feel like I'm I'm going through the coffee dates that they were going through back in 2016 or 2017 when they started. You know, that's there's so many people in all the social groups that I'm a part of that want to jump ship and go to this thing that they call UX design. And I think in the majority of those cases, when people say, I want to go do UX design, they don't even actually know what they what UX is, <laughs> but it seems like it's the most, and it feels to them like it's the most tangential to architecture. But it, it, it was an affirmation that some of the feelings that I had when I stepped away from traditional practice are being felt by others. And I think it, it's just interesting to hear like the, how the community has evolved and how there really is a need for this dialogue to happen. And like you said, it's it's very active, right, on a daily basis. So um, not only a need for this dialogue to happen, but it, like the exchanges and the networks that are being built are like really, really intrinsic to actually helping people do career changes right now. For both of them, what I find most interesting is how multifaceted they are. They have, you know, this 
this rich background training in architecture. They're entrepreneurs at heart. They're founders. They're working at really innovative companies. They're also involved in VC startup culture. And in addition to that, you know, they have this community of technology-based leaders and innovators um, that they're they're helping to champion. It's there's just so much to talk about with them. I especially appreciated Leona's perspective on the need for more human design in her design, human-based kind of rigor and theory in her design that that led her and brought her to architecture. Um, I, I just, the story about her kind of watching Netflix <laughs> late at night while Blake kind of worked away at SOM is just kind of telling of ongoing studio culture and, and things that we've mentioned previously on Practice Disrupted. I think, again, a part of that story is that, you know, they may not have planned the direction that they ended up going, but, um, you know, through the process of their own interests and exploration and iteration, they've discovered this path, which is kind of compelling. It is. And I think, well, there's one area that I do want architects to really pay attention to or really take away from this. You know, Blake talked about this four-week deep work session he had with himself to clear out all of the architecture out of his portfolio and really build from scratch. You know, architecture is an identity. It's a lifestyle, I would say, that most people say about the career or the profession. To step away from identifying as an architect, I think, is really, really hard. But it's actually what is unfortunately needed at this time to make it in this space. Uh, because a lot of people don't understand what architects do on a daily basis. So if anything, making the move to, to this new market does take a very conscientious decision, at least temporarily. You know, like Blake said, you could always go back to it. But to kind of take off the architect hat and say, okay, what skills that I learn from architecture can I bring forward? And how do I best represent those skills? That's a good point. And maybe we should pivot into what those skills are that Leona talked about in her observations of what she took forward. <laughs> yeah, if anyone has not heard about Netflix's radical candor, just Google Netflix radical candor. Um, they have a really interesting culture at Netflix. And so it was, it was, it just made me laugh when she referred when she said, you know, the one things architects are architects have is really thick skin. I think we do have thick skin, but we're also like very, <laughs> I think, I, I guess, without getting too deep into it, I think there are pieces of us that are very thick skin, but then there are pieces of us that are like really, really emotional. And that's what makes us architects. Um, the work ethic is something that Dave Fano even alluded to when we interviewed him. Um, I mean, all of us grew out of studio culture. We know what that's like. That is even pervasive in, in firm culture or kind of the late night sometimes. So, you know, that's good. I, Blake mentioned some really interesting attributes about how we have good communication skills because every one of our finals involved a critique where we have to stand in front of a group of people and talk. Um, the development of, of soft skills or just uh, kind of a greater understanding of, of what we're bringing to our, our buildings is kind of inherent. I don't know if it always shows up in leadership roles and architects. That's not that's a whole nother discussion. And this idea of being systems thinkers, I tend to latch on to this notion of assist like being systems thinkers more often these days, because that that's kind of the business buzzword right now. Um, systems thinkers is, is not dissimilar from we're great problem solvers that can solve problems three dimensionally. So it's, we solve systems by analyzing like every aspect of what goes into that system. But it's the vocabulary that people outside of architecture can actually relate to. Well, I know that one of the things that you've been trying to pursue as we've invited different speakers on, Evelyn, is, is finding diverse speakers, and particularly women founders, is something that you've been very mindful about. And with Leona, I think it's it's nice to hear her story and know that someone can transition into some of those 
challenging environments like VC culture seems pretty has some parallels to uh, architecture in some ways. And one interesting fact that I actually read today is that women-led startups received just 2.3% of VC funding in 2020, which was like kind of shocking, actually. And I know you and me as like female founders of our own small businesses, like we're trying to bootstrap it and, and want to find the right like people to invest in us. And it's just like, I don't know, like in my search for those things, like they are really rare and it's hard as a woman to lead in this space. And I just, I'm inspired to see someone like Leona stepping into this space and making waves. I know the, that this is something we're going to talk a lot more about VC culture and VC life um, a little bit later in this season, but it's something that I appreciate about Leona in this interview. It's interesting to me that you say that statistic is is shocking. I think on, you know, for people that have been following this space, it's, it's not unusual, right? I mean, the the profession in general and architecture obviously is going through this need to for greater inclusion and diversity and equity. But I don't think it's, you know, it's not something that is just our profession going through, obviously. Tech is going through that. Uh, VCs constantly struggle with this. And there's definitely a handful of VCs out there that are woman-led that I'm interested in, in bringing on maybe in the later part of season three. But, you know, for me, you can look at it and say, like, oh, geez, you know, there's only 2.3% of VC funding going to women-led startups. Um, the glass half full perspective on that is that there's a lot of opportunity for women in this space, too. And if any of you know any great female founders working in um, in this space or just starting their own businesses and making an extraordinary go on it, I think we'd be happy to bring them on to practice disrupted. So please get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't already, go online, check out architecty.org and sign up for their Slack channel. Um, there's a huge community waiting for you. And to the point that they made in the interview, be sure to introduce yourself when you get on. Thank you for listening and tune in next week. Thanks for joining us on Practice Disrupted, a podcast by Practice of Architecture. Visit us at practiceofarchitecture.com to find out more about future episodes and the changing nature of practice. We have several ways you can get involved with our growing community. Find us on social media at Practice of Arc. You can also become a member of the POA Lab or join us on Patreon. And if you want to take your career or practice to the next level, Janine and I also consult, provide workshops, and speak regularly on this research. And we would love an opportunity to collaborate with you. This show is part of Gable Media. You can learn more about other podcasts and video channels in our community by visiting gablmedia.com. We are also looking for sponsors who want to partner with us in 2021 and beyond. If that's you, please contact me directly at evelyn at practiceofarchitecture.com. If you like the research we're doing here, please help us out by leaving a rating or review on Apple. We appreciate you subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to share with your friends and feel free to let us know what other topics or speakers you're interested in hearing from. Thanks for listening and see you next week.